Welcome to Ellas, a bi-weekly podcast made by Latinas for Latinas. I talk with talented, inspiring, and empowering women that are living their dreams and making a path for the next generation. I'm Brenda hernandez Caimes, and this is Ellas. Hola, welcome back to Ellas. I'm your host, Brenda hernandez Caimes, and I want to thank you for taking the time of your day to listen to Ellas and to, you know, leave a review on Apple Podcast or listen on your Amazon Alexa or Spotify or wherever you're listening. I know we're living through really hard times, but you taking the time to support AES really means a lot and just really inspires me and motivates me to continue doing this work of amplifying these empowering voices of Latino women of our communities. Which brings me to today's guest. For episode 45, I have the honor of introducing... Stephanie Aceves. Stephanie is a director of technical account management at Tanium. She's a cybersecurity subject matter expert and is presently focused on building out Tanium's presence in Latin America. Prior to Tanium, she was part of EY's cyber threat management, both on the incident response and red team vulnerability identification teams. Before leaving EY to work for Tanium, Stephanie led red team ethical hacking engagements for clients in a wide range of industries. She has obtained GX certifications for both forensic examination and penetration testing. To complement her technical knowledge base, Stephanie is well-versed in report composition, public speaking, and program management. She has taken positions of leadership in various organizations, which has enabled her to adapt to various working styles and manage effective teams. Stephanie is a proud Latina and has made it a personal mission to help minorities be unapologetically themselves in tech. She has awarded an annual scholarship to Latinas pursuing an education in STEM for the last five years in an effort to pay forward the support she received over the years. Please welcome Stephanie Aceves. Hola, Stephanie. Hola, como estas, Bren? Hi, nice to, nice to hear everybody here. Thank you. I'm doing good. I'm excited because um, prior to recording, we had a conversation back in the summer. And just, it was really exciting just to get to know you a bit more. And just leading the, up to these months and like finally we get to talk is just, just really exciting. Yeah, I think I've been, um, I keep checking my calendar like, oh, when is this, this podcast going to happen? Because I've been really excited to get to talk to you today. Oh, thank you. And it just means a lot because you, as you know, are a listener and, you know, it, it's, I want to share with our listeners that through Lorena Soriano, we got to, you know, meet and just have you here on AES, which means a lot. I think having, amplifying these voices and getting to know more Latinas in our communities just makes me so happy and just excited to share your own story today. Yeah, I, I first of all, I love Lorena. Like she and I had our first conversation um, earlier this year and like we met on social and my experience on social media has just been so like overwhelmingly positive. I've met so many inspirational Latinas and so many inspirational professionals and kind of grown my network in that way. So it's been a pleasure to be able to meet folks and to establish, you know, legitimate relationships with like Lorena and I have not ever met in person, but she and I, you know, we'll check in here and there. Um, and I'm, I tell her, I'm like learning from you from afar. You're a mentor to me. Um, you know, she, I look up to her, so she's, she's incredible. 
Oh my gosh, I seriously can connect the same way because, you know, throughout my whole social media experience, it's been positive. And even more now with AYES, just connecting and building this network of empowering Latinas. And I as well, you know, she is a mentor to me ever since we first talked on, you know, Instagram and then to having the, the podcast and right now. So it's really exciting. And so I want to start this conversation by now focusing on you because you are also a mentor to many Latinas and women of color in tech. So I want to start with this question, you know, who is Stephanie? Okay, we're going to go straight into it. So um, yeah, so I can give you guys, we'll start maybe with a little bit about me um, that I know that my intro, I was thinking while you were reading it, it sounds excessive. So I think it's amazing. You've accomplished (laughs) so much. Um, But yeah, so I am a, so I'm a former ethical hacker who now works with companies to help advise them to making, to improving their security posture, right? I currently work for a software company, Tanium. And, you know, like the intro said, I'm one of the directors that's helping build out our presence in Latin America. So that has been really exciting. Um, You know, this is the first time I'm really doing business in Latin America and technical Spanish is a whole different game. I'm telling you from firsthand experience, you think you know what you're saying. And then all of a sudden you're like, el firewall, el IP address. And, um, but some of those are actually how they say it. So um, that's what I currently do in my professional career. Uh, But, you know, as you mentioned in the intro, Part of, I think, my core purpose is to really empower Latinas and all minorities to to be unapologetically themselves in technology. I think I've got, you know, my own experience where I learned from a younger age not to really look for the opportunities um, that, or the opportunities of somebody maybe, you know, looking down on an identity that maybe is not uplifted the same way it should be. And instead of searching for these opportunities or instead of searching for these scenarios of, oh, I'm the only female in the room or, oh, I'm the only Latina in the room. It's like, yes. And what does that do for you? It's really adds to your power, in my opinion, and it adds to your value and it gives you a really unique perspective. And it's all about how you portray it. Right. So there's um, a big I feel like a big part of me is really encouraging folks to lean into that identity, you know, as if you celebrate your identity, however you identify as a strength, you're equally inviting people to celebrate their, your identity with you. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so kind of, as I was first embarking on this, how do we, how do we probably properly market this? Um, I was talking to one of my, my good friends and we came up, I had just finished watching La Reina del Sur in um, quarantine and so I had been obviously obsessed with the show and I watched the season two and I was all hooked and season three is coming out. So <laughs> for La Reina del Sur, but we came up with La Reina del Cyber because a lot of the character traits um, that I admired in, in Teresa Mendoza and Kate, um, in Kate de la Castillo are kind of how I envision a lot of Latinas owning themselves and taking charge and being confident and leaning exactly into who they are and celebrating who they are. You know, she as a, um, you know, fictional role model, not saying to get into the drug trade. So that's maybe not where we're going to take this podcast, but you know, she embodies just taking what life gives her and, and making, making things happen and making things work for her. And, you know, maybe she didn't have, 
everything um, in that picturesque way that she had envisioned it, but she makes something of herself and she makes a life for herself. So um, that is all kind of Steph in a nutshell. I love that. And I love the meaning behind La Reina del Cyber. Now I know. it's really- Yeah, so I, I thought about, I remember when I first, my, my poor parents, if they hear this podcast, I know they're going to hear it, but I like the tequila part of um, La Reina del Sur. I was like, I have to include that in the brand. So all my YouTube videos, I was like, I'm going to drink tequila. My, I showed my mom. My mom, my parents are both born in Mexico and um, they're conservative. You know, they don't really drink much. Neither of my parents have ever been drunk in their lives. Um, and so I think for, for us, um, when my mom saw the YouTube video, she was like, oh, yeah. so, like, oh, you're drinking tequila. And I was like, mom, trust me, it's going to be fine. She's like, well, you know, there's always this fear of, um, and this is probably where a lot of this, like, mm-hmm. un- unapologetically identifying as yourself comes from. There's this fear of not letting your coworkers perceive you in a social light, almost, especially in a male dominated field for a long time, I was like, okay, God forbid that they see me as somebody that, you know, has any type of identity outside of work. Right. And what I learned is that it really limited the potential for our, you know, professional friendships, for professional relationships. And it was also stunting my growth because mm-hmm. I wasn't counting on my teammates the same way they were maybe able to count on each other. So now unapologetically myself means they see the same Stephanie that is in work as they see outside of work. And I'm going to wear my hoop earrings on zoom when we have an early morning call and I'll have my, my makeup done and whatever it is, but I'm past that stage of my life where I give a curated version at work. And part of that comes from, you know, just having had these experiences and really wanting to, to own who I am so that other people can celebrate, um, you know, my identity as well. Yeah. Like I said. I love that. So I want to go deeper into that, you know, because it was, I imagine it was an experience of being fully embracing yourself and not presenting a curated version because we, we tend to do that, you know, specifically everyone, everyone, you know, it doesn't matter the race or, or gender or sexuality. We each present a curated version of ourselves. But for you in your case, I think, did it also come with um, maybe the point that you mentioned earlier of like, being the only Latina in you know this space that I am, plus providing this curated um, version of myself, and then I want to know how was that you shedding those walls that you built up and saying, hey, I'm not going to place myself as like poor me, I'm the only one here, but like celebrate and open the doors and also be yourself, 100. Yeah. percent Yeah, that's that's a good question. So I think. Um, you know, what we're kind of referencing is code switching. And it's an experience that a lot of minorities have. Um, And, you know, being a double minority, when I first, so I work in cybersecurity, right? It's a male dominated field. And most technology fields are, and you're going to have even fewer Latinas in these fields. What I recognized is fresh out of college, I was so like ready for battle in terms Mm -hmm. of I'm going to be the only one because that's the narrative I had been told for so long. You're going to be the only female in the room. Don't let them take advantage of you. Don't let them shortchange you. And so I was almost overly prepared to fight. Like I equate it and the way I describe it now is I equate it to wearing armor to work. And can you imagine Mm -hmm. we've already got all of our responsibilities and now I have to carry this armor every day and I'm ready for whoever's going to punch most of the time people aren't swinging. Right. Mm -hmm. So what I, I actually remember my, um, 
when I was still at EY, I was invited as a member of EY's recruiting team to go to a diversity, um, like MBA diversity program at USC, which is also my alma mater. So go Trojans. Um, so I remember I was so hyper-focused on this. I actually asked one of the panelists um, the question, you know, how do you deal with with being the only, she was black. And I said, how do you deal with the only, being the only black woman in the boardroom? You know, it's a double, double minority there. And her response shook me. It's one of those things that you don't forget because I, I remember asking it and, you know, everyone typically gets the same answer. Like, oh, just be, you know, like, just, you know, be positive and it's going to change and whatever. And she was like, why are you focusing on that? And immediately I was like, oh my gosh, um, you're right. Why are you focusing on this? <laughs> um, no, but she said, she, she had a point. She was like, the more energy that we throw into focusing on this identity, the less energy we have to actually get the work done, right? Mm-hmm. And I started to recognize after that, like, honestly, that pivotal moment in my life that I was maybe inviting or searching for opportunities um, to prove that there was discrimination and it's funny, all of my friends know I say this, anything you go looking for, you will find. If you think your boyfriend is cheating, there's evidence that he's cheating. Even if he's not, that's just how it works. It's law of attraction. Your mind is going to be able to convince yourself, uh, convince itself of whatever it is, right? So if you go looking for evidence of discrimination, the one time that you're accidentally forgotten to be CC'd on an email, it's because I'm a female. It's because I'm Latina, right? Mm-hmm. That can make us, you know, a little bit more difficult to approach, but it also gets us independent of how people perceive us. Because at the end of the day, you know, I, I don't believe in, in um, really, you know, curating your, your personality to be perceived how you, in, in a certain way. But independent of that, again, it, turn, it, it turns you into the somebody that's wearing this armor. You always got kind of like, you know, like, um, that chip on your shoulder. You're always kind of ready to fight and you're just mentally, you're like, I don't fit here. I don't fit here. And you keep replaying that narrative. And then I'm not going to lie. You obviously aren't going to see a lot of other Latinas. You're not going to see, not yet. Um, and so you end up kind of like self-fulfilled, pro- self-fulfilled prophecy kind of inviting it because the next Latina that comes into the room doesn't, she sees how you've been jaded. So she's like, I don't want any of this. Why? Porque? Like, why would I put myself in this situation as opposed to just being like, look, I deserve to be here. I have a place here. Who I am as I am is great. And it's good enough to get me here. That way I can focus on the work that I'm doing. And when people see me, they see that I'm in alignment. I'm whole, I'm centered. I'm not worried about these little weird nuances and they can really lean in and be like, now I want something like that. Right. Mm -hmm. But that comes from really just being able to own who you are. There's this quote, I think it's by Lewis Howes. Reading that quote, I had just started creating content on social media and I was kind of like hesitant because I was like, I don't know if people are going to like really like feel like this is right for me or you're going to be like, why is she doing this all of a sudden? Like this is maybe out of character or just, you know, like we convince ourselves that maybe we don't have a right to do something or we don't have a place. Here it is. If you don't have the confidence to own the worth of your brand and share it unapologetically, you won't make a massive impact. Mm. And it, it is Lewis House. And I heard that and I was like, I'm sitting here being all like, pobre de mi, not really, but you know, being like, like, I'm just like, okay, like maybe I'll do it. And being like very delicate with it. No, I need to own that. And the second that I started owning it, 
Girl, I kid you not. I had the, the chief marketing officer of our company post my YouTube video with somebody else saying like, hey, and ever since I've started just owning La Reina del Cyber and they see the tequila and the whole gamut of it, I've just seen people really you know, buy into it. Mm -hmm. And my boss texted me after um, I did a presentation. He goes, you really are La Reina del Cyber, right? So there's, you own it unapologetically. And if it offends people, great. You're not supposed to make, make everyone happy. Honestly, mm -hmm. when you offend people, I take it as a sign that you're doing something right because yes. it's shaking something in them that maybe they haven't confronted. It's their own issue to deal yes. with. It's not your responsibility, but you're doing something. You're getting to something that actually matters, right? So again, you have to have the confidence to own your brand unapologetically. Oh, that's beautiful. Really, that quote right there can like hit me a lot because recently I, I had this, I was as a panel speaker, something that I had wanted to do and didn't really like envision it. Mm -hmm. And starting a, yes, it was, I was always like passionate of amplifying Latina voices, but I never put myself in that same mission. And it's so true. If you're not embracing who you are in your voice and your brand, then you're not really creating an impact with the work that you're doing. Yeah. And I find it interesting that, you know, reading through you and your, in your Instagram and everything and what you said earlier, you, uh, growing up, you had, you have your, both of your parents are Mexican, mm -hmm. born in Calisco, but you never really like identified with, um, let's say maybe the typical characteristics that it comes with being a daughter of two Mexican immigrants, right? Yep. And I guess that also came, did, listening to you, did that also affect the first years of you, of your career? And then you go to college and just like being, embracing you and then just saying, yeah. not the typical Latina that everyone is saying, you know, this is me. I think for me, it wasn't in college, but it, I definitely had that like exploration, right? Mm -hmm. So um, yes, both of my parents were born in Jalisco. Um, I'm technically not, what is it, first gen because my mm -hmm. mom got her, um, her bachelor's at Cal State Long Beach. So she moved here when she was four, was back and forth for a little while. My dad came here when he was 17 um, and they both have their citizenship now. Like, you know, thankfully um, that got taken care of. And so we, in a way, like I didn't really ever growing up see a lot of that side of, of Hispanic identity, right? And my mom, like I said, she, she was here when she was four. So she, a lot of her upbringing, as much as it was very traditional Mexican household for her, um, she already had a lot of maybe Americanized customs. So I was a level removed from that traditional first gen experience, right? And for example, like language is such a huge um, point of contention for a lot of Hispanics. It's like, okay, or, or Latinx folks, right? It's okay. Well, I speak Spanish, but I don't speak well enough or I do, or I don't. And, and we all kind of have this vision of what a, Lat a Latinx person, yeah. what a Latina looks like. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for some of us, we strive to meet that vision, not recognizing that it is a spectrum, right? So I, I distinctly remember, and this is also, this goes kind of in hand in hand with that quote, because um, I remember it was high school where I was starting to figure out like where I played in the scheme of things. I went to uh, a Catholic K through eighth and we had more Hispanics in that school. And by the time I got to high school, I went to a very like Caucasian school. Okay. So the name of the town that I grew up in is El Segundo. It's not El Segundo, porque 
son todos güeritos. So, El Segundo, the, one of the main streets is Mariposa, like, no se dice Mariposa. So, it is very much a, a white town. Mm-hmm. And um, I just remember growing up and really, like, feeling this pull to my, his, like, Latin identity, my Latina identity. And I distinctly, and I put this on my social, I distinctly remember, like, writing in my diary one day, like, why is it so important that people know? Like, why do I feel compelled to be vocal about this identity? And so I did a lot of that soul searching in mm-hmm. high school. And I noticed, you know, with this, I, I'm telling you, it comes back to this same quote by Lewis Howes, is I noticed that um, the more I claimed it, I, I found, so I started by listening to music, you know, and then like, um, you know, we spoke Spanish in the home when I was young, but then, you know, one thing or another, my, we started going to school. So it was, we started speaking English at home and both of my parents, you know, speak and, and understand English. So we spoke English at home um, for a long time. And by the time I got to high school, I was like, bro, I forgot all my Spanish. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> so, um, you know, I worked at getting it back. And, you know, just as it was for it, see, see, gifts. see, I'm, I'm bilingual. I mean, I'm Spanglishing it now. Just like it, it continues to be for a lot of um, Latinx folks, you know, mm-hmm. you know, trying to figure out if I had a legitimate claim to the throne because I didn't speak the language maybe as much or as well as I wanted to. Um, and I remember too, as I was moving towards this like Latin identity or like claiming my Latinidad, my parents were also like, what is she doing? Like, you know, like, what is this? And I've learned again, like we have to recognize the people that we look up to and love and admire and respect mentors, family, like parents, whoever it is, they're also only operating from their purview and their perception of truth. So you, I like, I think in high school, that's when I got to the point where I stopped really seeking that approval because I recognized if I wanted to explore what I felt like, I, I only explain it as like compelled, like, mm-hmm. Cynthia, like I had to, I had to know why I was moving this direction. Um, and I had the, to make that choice of do I really focus on my, on pleasing my parents, which don't get me wrong. Like I, I, I love to please my mom and dad, trust me, yeah. me and my therapist talk about it, but, <laughs> but, um, you know, it's, it's that choice of like, okay, what's right for me. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, started at that point to trust my judgment and realize I need to know what Stephanie needs before I know, or before I try to please, you know, what everyone else, because, and it's not people is not, there's bad intentions. There's like, don't get me wrong. You can run into that. But people want the best for you, but they have the perception of what the best is according to their reality. And it's according to their experiences. So you can't, I can't sit here and expect my parents to have this perfect vision of what is going to keep Stephanie happy, happy because they haven't lived through what I've lived or, you know, like they have, they were some of our experiences. And at this point, our experiences are vastly different, especially because I now live across the country from my family. So to kind of come back to it, I think that Latina identity did have a huge part to do with kind of where I'm at now. Right. Um, and I think, you know, having maybe not the same ability to claim, um, whether it's through language or a lot of, you know, my parents might've struggled financially when we were younger, but it was when I was so young that I was not aware of it and we were never in like need for anything. So, um, they, I grew up in a very loving household and they did an excellent job. So I'm not going to sit here and be able to, talk about a lot of the struggles that, you know, first gen and also 
for you guys are on a podcast, but um, if you, when you see the photos, I'm a white passing Latina. I'm very aware. People usually think I'm white. People usually think I'm European. Um, I don't get, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be falling victim to racial discrimination just based on appearances, right? So I recognize my privilege in that. And I think when you get comfortable accepting who you are, like literally, I'm not going to sit here and try to, when I was younger, I was like, okay, well, if I'm Hispanic, I have to do, I have to suffer through X, Y, Z things that every Hispanic goes through and blah, blah, blah. And I have to make their plight my plight. Yes and no, right? I can still make that plight my plight, but I have to approach it from a place of authenticity because I'm not going to sit here and pretend like somebody sees me on the street and is going to discriminate me or I go into a boardroom and they see me as she's Latina. Like they're going to pick that up in different ways, but just again, unapologetically owning who you are. My soul searching in high school had a lot to do with kind of where I'm at to that point of why, who am I validating to? Who am I proving it to? I have to prove it to myself. And that starts with really just starting to believe you have the, your, your authentic self has a right to identify as you feel you need to identify. Oh, yes. That you're seeing a lot of things that are hitting me and like that I myself am working on. But it's so true. If you're not pleasing yourself first, because at the end of the day, you're living the life that you are, you know, paving, not your parents, not your mentors, not your teachers, it's you. And I also want to say thank you for also acknowledging that privilege that you have. You know, I think a lot of recently that I've noticed a lot of, um, you know, white Latinos who I know I myself have that privilege because I am white and I am Latina, and I also acknowledge that privilege, but I see a lot of Latinos who just, like, are not, like, are ashamed of recognizing that, and instead of getting over that and doing the work and helping our communities, they're just being stuck in their own, like, colorblind, I don't know, like, own stereotype and own, own way of thinking, so you saying that also gives me a bigger picture of yes where you're coming from what you're doing currently right now and yeah. why you're so you know focused on helping our communities so I want to go back into you saying how you know your company was so open to seeing you authentically you being on YouTube with your tequila being in the cyber <laughs> la reina del cyber and you said that being yourself open opens opportunities with you know, your job with friends, with fellow people of your, of your industry. I want to talk about that. What have been those opportunities that have really changed your life for the better and that have given you lessons that if you haven't been yourself, you wouldn't be living them right now? Yeah. So um, to kind of take us back to how this played out. So when I was at EY, I was very much in the code switching game with mm-hmm. peer or with, with folks that maybe were not my peers, right? Um, so my peers, they might have known that I was, um, you know, very into makeup, or they might have known that I had, you know, God forbid, they find out a social life on the weekends, or um, they might have known more about my personal life. But you know, people that were above me or that I was reporting to, people that had more, I guess, power, I made a very intentional decision back at that time to keep work and personal separate. And when I was at Tanium, it started that way. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't fully ready to let go and just like let live. And it 
we all worked remote before COVID. So I was um, spending a lot of time working from home and we still had to find a way to establish like any, any type of rapport, build those relationships mm-hmm. with our teammates. And we had a holiday party and um, it was here in Atlanta. And at one point, um, you know, we, we were out at a restaurant and then we went out to a bar and I like had a heart to heart with one of my, my coworkers. And so for context, I, um, I, I wonder if they're going to hear this. I love my team. I love my coworkers and I call them the dads. And I stole this from one of my friends, but I call them the dads because a lot of them are white males in their thirties, forties, um, even older sometimes. And I remember on my interview with the, the gentleman who later hired me, I asked him, I was like, so how many women do you have on your team? And he was like, uh, so you'd be the first. And so that's not even getting into race, right? That's just gender women. And I could tell, um, and I got, I'll tell you point blank. I I've been blessed. He was probably one of the best bosses I've ever had. And because of his leadership, other, um, you know, leaders in the company follow suit. Right. And so at this holiday party, we were out at the bars and I had a heart to heart with one of my colleagues um, and kind of expressed how like I usually keep things separate. um, But I was like, I'm not that different from y'all. We have a lot more in common. And it was almost it's weird because as much as it was a decision of mine, it was also in an to an extent a protection mechanism Mm -hmm. because it was almost that like fear of them seeing you know, who Stephanie is and recognizing it's that, that imposter syndrome, recognizing that she doesn't belong here. Right. Like what is she, how did she get in here? And, um, I think it was kind of cathartic and therapeutic for him to be like, wow, you're so cool. Like I, you know, we need to, I'm going to help make sure the rest of the team, because you know, when, when like, you know, when people start shushing how they're, or they, they, they accommodate to how they're speaking in front of you, you can always tell. Okay. So this is a a boys, boys kind of team, not necessarily, but I'm saying like, I was the first girl on their team. I was the first woman on their team. And so I know that they like had to clean up maybe the way that they talk, or I assumed whether it's been confirmed or not, I don't know but I had assumed. And so that doesn't make anyone feel good. It kind of is like, all right, so you guys are somehow equating me to the feds and you have to clean up your act around me. And not to say like be boisterous and reckless or anything like that. Don't get crazy, but I'm just a a person. I'm just a human like you are. And I think it was very therapeutic to have this conversation with this one colleague. Again, he's 40 something white guy, love him to death. Like he's a great guy. Um, but in his acceptance, I kind of recognized where I was maybe putting these walls and these barriers and, um, it was therapeutic. And I was like, you know what? Like, I, I don't know why I cared so much. And I don't know why I was so, I mean, I do know, um, why I was so intentional about setting these boundaries. I remember at EY, God forbid, they knew I could do makeup because then they would find out, like, I actually care what I look like outside of, you know, just all these things. I was like, somehow I felt like that was going to delegitimize my, my work. And I felt like, oh, if she has an interest, it's not one of the five or six or whatever interests it's approved for somebody that works as a professional hacker, you know, like, oh, she's not a gamer or she's not this, that they were going to see like, oh, she's wasting time on other stuff. She's obviously distracted. She can't do this you know, and have these, these, it was imposter syndrome at, at its best. Right. And so having that conversation, um, and he kind of took me under his wing in a way and, and was like, you guys, that's good. Like, um, you know, like, let's not, we don't have to, 
and I hate that that even is a conversation, but we don't have to like, you know, code switch either, whatever. Um, and at that, after, after that one person, I really, that's when I started walking to being more unapologetic. I was like, wow, because, um, your, your, the second part of your question was what has been a result of that? Like what has resulted from that? I'm now very good friends with my coworkers. I'll text them. You know, we, we keep in contact. Um, they know what's going on in my personal life. They, I know what's going on in their personal lives. Like we, we see each other. We, you know, we're friends Mm -hmm. and how that, you know, maybe you might say, or uh, listeners might sit here and say, well, I don't really care to be friends with them. I'm going to tell you how that translates professionally. Okay. What that means is when I'm at work and it's 7 PM on a Friday and I have a huge outage, they're not going to be bothered when I text them, Hey, do you mind? Can you explain this one thing to me? Right. I've now built a network of a team that I trust and that trusts me to know, like they're going to support me in anything that I'm doing professionally. Right. These are colleagues now that I have not only a personal relationship, but a professional relationship with. So if I one day decide to leave, or if they one day decide to leave career wise, I have a very strong network and you know, I always kind of address this the same way that I like, or I'll address networking. Um, Mm -hmm. when I talk about things like this, there's this weird fascination with networking. Okay. And I say that because people, I don't think we under, I don't think a lot of folks really understand what is the intention of networking? Yeah. Maybe you want to get to the nice next rung of the ladder, but networking at its most, most effective isn't the way that networking is advertised today. You're not going to go buy a little cafecito and drink with, you know, like, it's not just like this cute little, let's talk about the weather. Networking is really building that network and making sure those ties are strong so that, Hey, I know that this person is is looking for a job. I'm going to go ahead and put them over here. Right. Or I'm going to put your name in the hat over here, but that really depends on strong foundational relationships with these people. And what that depends on is when you think of how relationships work, it's really dependent on authenticity. And if they can tell your code switching, congratulations, you have not been able to build a bridge that's going to sustain a viable professional connection, right? Now, I'm not friends with these guys because I need them for my career. I'm friends with them because we're people. And even though I'm the Latina, the only whatever, the more I lean into my identity, the more they can lean into it, like I've said. And we genuinely have things that we connect on. We genuinely have things to talk about from a bird's eye view. People are going to be like, Steph, what, like, what do you, what, you know, and you start to recognize, put all the other, um, put the societal perceptions aside. We're people. We all have very similar experiences. We're not going to complicate it and say, um, that this is unique to me. And I'm the only person that's ever been through this. So when you think about like human desire, what, like we're all searching for purpose. We all want fulfillment, things like that. There are very foundational parts of being a human that are relatable. And when you can, you know, don't, don't walk up to your boss and be like, what are you going through today? And like, what's your purpose in life? You don't need to get there you know, and get all crazy um, unless you have that relationship. But you, I, I always encourage people like don't network superficially, build friendships, build genuine relationships, because not only does it fill your cup as a professional, not only does it remove the need for you to be one person inside of work and another person out, um, which in in general is going to make your holistic life better if you're not Stephanie in work and then Stephanie outside of work, 
it also is just it's just worth it. Like you can, it's going to make your career excel. You have these friendships, you have people in different walks of life. Girl, Mm -hmm. my car couldn't start. And my, I called my dad and I love my dad. (laughs) I didn't believe him when he told me what to do. So I called for a backup and I called one of my coworkers. My dad was right. So sorry, dad, love you. (laughs) Um, But you know, I can call my coworkers and be like, Hey, I don't, can you just make sure I don't blow up? Right. Um, so I really encourage people to lean into that because it's rewarding, not just professionally or personally, but both. And we are, we have our careers, but your career hopefully is something that is part of your life's purpose and gives you fulfillment. So why are you keeping that separate from your life? Exactly. And it's so true. You know, us humans, we need connection, right? And imagine not creating these friendships at work. You're going to go to work and to the office and not talking to anyone, it's like, it makes it less fun, right? Like not even having that interaction or that connection with your fellow employees. And now, you know, like I can talk to my colleagues and be like, cause we're all in different teams, right? And some of them are maybe higher up or in, in mm-hmm. different parts of the org. And I can ask them for point blank advice. And I know they're going to be honest with me. What we, I think um, one of the hardest things to accept is when you know somebody's only giving you half the story because of how they perceive you. But a lot of that, unfortunately, or like, fortunately, we have power over that. Like you can, not that we care how people perceive us, but like you can establish that rapport so they don't have to give you what they think you need, right? You can establish and build that relationship. So you know that you're going to get a real candid answer. And I know that I can count on these guys. If I'm ever, you know, God forbid, screwing up at work, they're going to call me first before it hits my boss, right? And we're doing ourselves a disservice by not building those relationships, and don't get me wrong, it's, it's not as easy as, oh, we like our kids go to the same school and, you know, we've got all this, you know, like we both watch baseball on the weekends, which I don't, um, but you know what I'm saying? Like it's yes, not right. as easy as some of the maybe superficial things that will establish relationships and build very legitimate relationships and, and friendships. Um, but there's always a way to connect to somebody. Exactly. And the, the quicker you're able to do that, the quicker you'll realize, like, not only does it at least... I'm extroverted. So if, if there's an introvert listening, they're probably like freaking out. They're like, why would you ever? But um, it, it'll fill, you know, your cup like personally. And you really have a team. Like in college, I did a lot of things solo. I, I look back now, I studied computer science. I did all my projects alone. I almost dropped my major twice. Why? Because I was doing it solo. I did not see any other Latina. So I just didn't really work with people. Meanwhile, my, my classmates have groups that they're all working on these projects on. And like, yo no me acercaba. Like I would just wouldn't get involved because I just felt like, oh, they're not going to get me. And that, I kid you not, I almost dropped the major twice. I haven't had that now. Let's get into that. I'm not trying to do it alone. And that really depends on building that legitimate like team. Yes. Oh my, thank you. Because you're, you're giving us a different perspective than what, networking has been already said or given and your your perspective is very authentic and I just love it and for any people who is introvert just placing it in through that connection and that authenticity is going to help you come out of your shell and Steph like almost twice you know you know dropping from your major like how how did that happen like and what made you two times like say like no I have to do this like what what pushed you yeah so um yes almost twice so I studied computer science 
And so I actually came into USC um, with the major computer science with an emphasis in video game design, okay, because I do art. And I, in my head, right before college, I was like, okay, am I going to go to art school or am I going to go to to study engineering? Because I am equally left and right brained. And so I love the engineering side of it, but I also love the art. So in my head, computer science with an emphasis on video game design. Right, girl. I do not play video games. Okay. So part of my freshman class, like I had to pass a video game. It was not, not the business. So I knew I didn't fit in that there. So I dropped the emphasis. Now that's not part of dropping it. By my sophomore year, um, I think it was, it was, okay. It was the second semester sophomore year. And I just felt like I could not, I remember there was classes where I felt like I was falling behind. And this is somebody type A who is good at, like not to be egotistical. I've been naturally good at a lot of different things, right? It, don't get me wrong. I work hard, but things in my brain, I've, I've always known that I have a very um, uncanny capacity to learn or to teach myself something. So I'm sure we're going to talk about my back in a little bit. Like I joke, me convertí en doctora because my, even my doctor was like, are you going to med school? And I was like, no, but I'm reading the papers on it. Like I'm, I just, you yeah. know, when I want to know something, I'll learn. So my sophomore year, um, I was burning out and I have, you know, was bringing, I have a tendency to want to do it all. And by sophomore year, I was like, I can't do this. Um, so I dropped one class and I was going to drop the major, but I decided like, let me just hold off. Um, and I'll make the decision the start of next semester, because again, I was doing a lot of these projects solo and things weren't clicking. Like sometimes it would, but you know, I had gotten very comfortable maybe in high school where things, even if they didn't make sense, if I worked hard enough, it would finally click. And I was not getting that. Um, and this was just the, the straight computer science major. So come uh, freshman, or sorry, first semester junior year, and it all started like nice and dandy. And then this is when I was really like going through it. So there were a few different things going on in my personal life. And I had taken on way more than I could chew. Like I was an RA. I was um, one of the like the team leads for our um, alternative student breaks, alternative spring break to um, for like a Teach for America thing. Um, I was taking all these classes. I was in my um, sorority, shout out Sigma Lambda Gamma. Um, But I had all these things that I was like trying to get done. And then I had my coursework on top of that. And um, then my, at the beginning of junior year, there, I had a situation where I was in and out of the doctor because they thought they had found something that, you know, could, could be worse than it was. And it, thank God turned out to be benign. Um, but there was that I went through my first heartbreak and, you know, my first breakup. And then we put my dog to sleep after this was my childhood dog, like of 14. I think actually, I think it was 17, 17 years. So it was all in one go. Yeah. And no, me la aguantaba. Like I was like, God, like what, like what, um, and I would call my parents. I've always loved to teach. So my poor parents, they went through the roller coaster with me. And I called them one day. So I volunteered as well. I was part of the USC Helenes, which um, it's like the official, it's the organization where the official hostesses of USC, we sit in the front row at the football games, but we do a lot of community service. And one of the events that I would sign up for is I would go volunteer to tutor some of the kids at the school across the street. And um, I had had this moment of clarity where I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. I just need to quit this major. I don't know why I think I'm going to be an engineer. Like, I'm just going to quit this and I'm going to go teach. And I'm really good at like math and science and I'll like just teach and I could teach art too. Um, And my mom was like, yo, relax. It's fine. Um, And, you know, especially um, 
for my parents, they, they are very risk adverse, right? They're both migrants. And like, for them, I, I, I can only imagine like where they were like, what is she doing? Like we've invested all of this in her and she's got, you know, they believed in me. They believed I had the capacity to do it, but I was sitting here like, nope, I'm just going to be a teacher and I'm going to switch my major into general education. And, you know, like I had this whole vision. Um, and I remember like my, one of my proudest moments, which is actually going to sound kind of sad. Um, (laughs) I decided like my parents had talked me off a ledge and I decided to to stick with it and I was just going to push through. Right. Um, and I decided to just be more intentional and like about what I, how I was spending my time. So another thing is I'm a night owl, but my classes were like maybe in the morning. So I had to just learn to like be okay, putting, closing the books at night and letting the answers come in the morning. And that was terrifying to me because I didn't like leaving it for the morning. Now that is, if, if anyone is in college right now, I promise you, I'm going to give you the best advice you've ever had. Close the book. I swear when you wake up in the morning with a fresh brain, everything comes so easily. You're like, how did I not see this before? Like it's, it's yeah. a joke, but I started to like kind of experiment with this in my junior year. Cause I wasn't having success any other way and it was working. Um, and so this, this moment that I'm telling you, I had, at this point, there was so much going on. So I had started to talk to my advisor and he had reached out to two of my professors um, to see if I could get an extension. Oh, I forgot to mention the first major project that I had for my computer science class. This is like our 201, like it's, it's like a big deal class. Um, I was working on the code and I procrastinate because I just do. And, um, it was due the following, it was like a Sunday and it was due, or I was working on it Saturday Um, and it was due Monday. So I started Saturday. I was like, I'm for sure going to finish this Sunday afternoon. My MacBook crashed, crashed. Oh my God, girl. I had already, this is the same class that I had dropped the semester before and was like, Mm -hmm. I got to nail it. Right. So I had told the professor and he was like, not really willing to like work with me, not willing to believe me. And I was like, I swear, like, I'm not the type that asks for these extensions. Like, I, I had to humble myself because I do not ask for accommodations. Like you tell me what it, what it is, when it's due and I will get it done. That's, that's the work ethic that I've always been instilled or that's always been instilled in me. And so I had asked for this and then all these things that I'm telling you were ramping up. Like, and so I was like, Oh my God, I already had this dramatic thing and now he's not going to believe me. And so I had to involve my advisor. And even then this professor, this specific professor was just not having it. And I asked if I could get an extension on the midterm. And I remember, um, I hope my college boyfriend never hears this, (laughs) but we had just broken up and I was like devastated. Like I was heartbroken and I went in to take the midterm and girl, I was crying while I'm taking the test. Like, and my professor at this point is like, Whoa, maybe something's wrong. I'm like, nah, son, you didn't see when I was telling you, like, you think I'm making this noise. I'm sitting here, but I'm taking this handwritten comp side test. Girl, I scored a hundred percent. She cried the whole way through, but we got it. So I think it was that moment where it was like, it sounds sad, but it's really not. I laugh now. And it's one of those fun things where you're like, (laughs) all right, girl. But, um, I just remember like being like, that was like this feeling of accomplishment. Like despite Mm -hmm. everything I had a place here, because look at like, all it took was a little bit of application, you know, like making sure that I was taking care of myself. Um, and I nailed it. So, and it was also kind of like that very exciting, like, Screw you, sir, because you were sitting here thinking I was faking it. I'm really going through shit right now. Excuse me. 
<laughs> no, you can, you can really go through it. Um, and you know, like I'm still going to blow it out the water. Like if you want to be difficult, we'll play this game and I'm still going to shut it down. So I think that moment was kind of like, trust yourself, like ask for accommodations when you need mm-hmm. to, but if someone's not willing to, to give it to you, like, fine, we'll yeah. make it work. And, and I feel like right now due to the pandemic, I feel like a lot of professors are more open to accommodating but then I, I, I so I pray because I swear I thought I had it bad. I I talked to my my little cousin. She's yeah. in high school and like there's I don't I don't want my kids to go to school whenever I have these kids. Like I just don't I can't imagine the pressures that we put on them now. Like can you have a life? I want my kids to know what outside looks like. Yes. Like I want them to be able to breathe in nature. I want them to have a life that's not so caught up in I gotta be the next thing and do everything like no it's funny because I would like review resumes when I was at EY when for like hiring and now at Tanium I review resumes and and do interviews and things like that and you can always see the overstressed student that's got everything on the resume but they don't have life experience and I always tell students look if you want to be um in computer science you don't have to be the president of the comp sci club the president of the engineering you do not like find interests that you care about because that develops you as a human and that's what's going to get you through the door everyone at the end of the day has as much qualification you know as long as you know that like the your the material you know the technology whatever it is you're a human like be a human don't be like this robot that's done every single club or like been in every conference or like and that's my personal thing. And I always tell folks to be that way. It's, it goes along with the same thing as networking. I think we've somehow coached kids nowadays to be so hyper-focused on their end goal. And one thing too, Bren, is like, you think about our, oh, our whole education system is to get that one job. I was just talking to one of my girls about it. There's this, this thing on social media going around, you know, um, how it started, how it's going. Yes. And there's this um, guy that, you know, he's, it's like a four series photo or four photos in a series. And he's like really hard at work. Someone's like giving him a hard time because he's always studying. It looks like he's doing some type of algorithms or like some math, like advanced like math um, or physics. But he's like on the whiteboard doing all this stuff. And so how it started is like somebody saying like, man, you work too hard. You need to like get a life, right? Mm -hmm. How it's going, he gets, he's posting his badge at Microsoft, right? And now I promise you that is a huge accomplishment. But when you think of like what our education system is, is that really the goal to get a job at Microsoft? Because somebody, in my opinion, with that talent or that drive, he could be running his own Microsoft. Why aren't we coaching people to do this kind of thing, right? So we, we slave away to get the job and then you get to the job and you're like, well, well, now what? Does this fulfill me? Like, is this my life's purpose or is this what I really want? We don't give, I don't think we're, we're doing a, a worse job of it now of giving the young folks of the world time to really look up and then introspect and say, what do I want? Is this what I want? Like, do, am I going for this? Because I know this is success and this is what my parents want for me. And I have to do this, or am I going after this career because it's going to fulfill me and it's going to be my life's work that, you know, God put me here to do. Is that, you know, what is it? And they don't have time to, to breathe, let alone think about all the other, the deep, you know, identity thoughts. Yeah. And I think what you said right there, like I myself went through that, like at a very young age, so focused at the end goal. When I didn't get the end goal, that's when I was like, okay, what is my life mission? What is going to make me happy? A lot of people go through that. And I just, 
it breaks my heart to think all these younger generations are going in school or high school and they're just so focused, but they're now they're seeing what reality is. You know that, you know, it's life is so fragile. Is the end goal really what they deserve or need in their life? Yeah. And do, did you want through that? Did you went through that same experience or were you slowly in that years of own of, being yourself, realize that this is what makes me happy and it's embracing your life mission. But where in the beginning, was it like, this is the end goal and this is what I need to do? I, um, I think my, my goal changes over time. Right. And I really believe that we have different versions of ourselves in the different phases of our life, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so what I wanted when I was younger, it, I think it has legitimacy and I think it's worth what it, you know, it's worth something. Um, but that's not to say it hasn't changed. So I, I maybe, I think when I was a kid, like I wanted to be a vet cause I loved animals. Right. Um, and then, uh, for a long time, I mentioned like art school versus, um, mm-hmm. for versus like engineering. So I, for a long time, thought I was going to like study like chemical engineering or something like that. I was going to be a doctor because the narratives that we tell people is you're smart. You should be in one of these careers. Okay. We don't give them the, we don't offer the resources for them to be creative and create their own career. Right. Like, Mm -hmm. oh, well you do all these things really well. Have you considered maybe like finding a way to merge them or, or, or like marry them all together? And so, um, when I was younger, it was like the very traditional, like doctor, lawyer, whatever. And I'm thinking, okay, I got to pick one of the big three to, because I'm the type of person, I'm a high achieving person. At least I believed in that at that time. And so I wanted to, um, do what high achieving people do, right. I got to fit the most. And as I started getting older, um, I remember I, I took AP physics in high school and I had a female physics teacher and she was the one that got me into robotics. And that's where all of a sudden I was thinking of engineering and I had a mentor. I used to intern and in, in high school, I was very lucky. Like I went to a public high school, but El Segundo is where a lot of the aerospace companies are. It's right next to the airport in LAX. And so I got the opportunity to intern at Northrop Grumman, right? It's aerospace and defense contractor. Um, and I did an internship in high school. That was unheard of. Right. And so that, that person that had been assigned to me, she was the one that she would see me like drawing during like my internship. If once I would finish my work and she's the one that was like computer science game. She was a former Trojan as well. And so she was like, you got to go to SC, like they have a great program. Film school is there. And so, um, I, as much as I might have a vision for my future, I'm very comfortable changing that based on my needs at the moment. Mm -hmm. Um, because at the end of the day, I still know I'm moving forward, right? Like I'm not the type to be so caught up and I have to have this, this title, or I have to get this award, or I have to like, there's, I have a vision board, but those, those pictures change and I'm comfortable with that. And so, um, what that turned into is I told you guys, I started off actually chemical engineering, uh, at SC and I changed it on at orientation to computer science games, took about a semester and a half for me to realize that I did not know how to play video games. And so I dropped the games emphasis and picked up a minor in art. And then, um, my senior year, I just, the thought of being behind a computer and coding all day was like making me mad. I was like just miserable. And I was, there's no way I was going to do it. And so I met another mentor of mine. Like I've had different mentors and mind you, like just quickly on the topic of mentorship, I don't know if this narrative is the same one that's told, but you don't have to formally ask somebody to be your mentor. I call people mentors because I learn from them from afar. Mm -hmm. And I, I encourage folks to like, 
just find people that you admire. Or if you, one thing that I don't think we do enough of is let's say, for example, I meet somebody and like that person gets a reaction out of me, whether it's good or bad, that is an opportunity for you to look intrinsically. Right. If, if, if I'm like, why is that person doing that? Okay. Well, why am I affected by what somebody else is doing? Is is it because I want to be doing that? You know, like, is it because I need to be, you know, are they doing something that I wish I had been doing? So I put that as an aside just to kind of say like, be introspective, really get to know yourself because the more you kind of ask the why you're reacting a certain way, the better you'll understand and start moving towards your, your purpose and your, you know, like really identifying and finding who you are. But my senior year of college, I, um, I always, I was on scholarship at USD. So I always stacked out my, um, class schedule with electives. I would take as many electives as my scholarship allowed because I just wanted to learn. And so like, I took a makeup for motion pictures class and I learned how to like make like bruises and beatings. I took a tennis class, which was not a fan of, I don't like tennis. Um, but I, I took a, a singing class. And so my senior year, I was like, Oh, like there's a class, supposedly you're going to learn how to pick a lock. Well, it was the intro to hacking class. And, um, so very quickly I met the professor, um, Joe Greenfield, and he was like, I don't see you behind a, a he's like, do you want to be programming? I had had two competing offers at the time. So I didn't know what I was going to be doing, but mm-hmm. they were both in, in, um, programming and in, in computer science and in like being in software development. And he was like, is that something you want to do? Um, and I was like, I don't know, like, I'm, I, I like, I'm social. Like I like to be, you know, interacting with people. So he, you know, introduced me to, um, Patrick Hines, who was my first boss at EY. Um, and I just kind of changed the goalpost, right? Because at, in college, like you, there's no way you would have told me I was going to be in cybersecurity. There's no way you would have told me that I was going to be an ethical hacker. And then there's no way you would have told me that I was going to be doing, um, like at a, at a vendor with like selling software. And then girl, there's no way you would have been telling me that I was going to help build out Latin America for our company. Right. So it's, it's not that I don't believe that we need to have an end goal because at the end of the day, you know, the keep, keep motivated, keep things that fill your cup, but be comfortable pivoting um, and be very comfortable moving that based on your needs at the moment, because who we are, when we made that first decision, we would, it would be a disservice to ourselves to keep striving for what a former version of ourselves wanted if we've done the work to grow ourselves. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now what that looks like is, you know, I, I'm, I'm happy at my job and I'm really trying to make sure that I'm fulfilling every, every aspect of my life and, you know, feeling like I'm a full person. So it changes, but yeah. Oh my gosh, Steph. I think this conversation is meant to be because I'm really, you know, questioning things in my life and you are really giving voice to that. And I feel like a lot of listeners are going to take this into account and really start questioning, you know, their purpose and their why and what is their, what brings them joy and fulfillment. You know, right now you're in cybersecurity and you're doing an amazing work, you know, building their team in Latin America and you yourself are surrounded before COVID and, and right now through, you know, um, Zoom, I imagine, or whatever mm-hmm. platform with Latina engineers as yourself in higher positions and just creating this version of your, no, I not success, but like this version of your goals and mission and just growth and connecting with uh, these other amazing mujeres you know, how has that been like, you know, what lessons of these experiences has it given you and really in just strengthen, you know, your values and the way you see your life? 
you're saying so like and and how his like encouraging other latinas kind mm -hmm. of affected me and yeah so i mentioned like at the beginning of the the episode right that i've just always been compelled like i felt this need to understand where my latina identity fit in right and i feel like god had given me a gift in being able to be very unapologetically myself you know i think that that's um something that I, it would be a disservice for me not to really use that to help benefit the community. And I remember, I'll take you back to a story. So my senior year of college, um, they, at USC, we have the Latino grad and um, they were looking for MCs and they were also looking for a keynote speaker. And I guess I, in college, I hadn't fully figured out my Latina identity. And so I, the narrative I told myself was I was going to apply to be an MC, but I didn't feel like I had the right narrative to be speaking as the, the keynote speaker um, at the Latino grad. And I remember my, they had, you, they had you write an essay. I remember my essay was basically about, it was almost like, I have to find it. I wish I could find it and read it back just because I'm curious. But I remember being like, look, like, I don't identify with all the same things, but I still believe like I can be an ally and an advocate and I can use whatever privilege I have to fight these battles. Like I don't, I don't believe that I have to go through the struggles to be effective in changing it. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so I ended up getting the position as an MC. And after, you know, I heard the keynote, part of me was like, and I, I still think about it now. I'm like, I, I kind of wish I had gone for keynote, not to say the keynote was bad, um, you know, she, she had a very, a, like a very compelling story. Um, but I say that because I took myself out of the game before mm -hmm. I even like was up to bat. And I think about it now and I just kind of wish I had, you know, shot my shot. So ever since then I've recognized, I think part of it was really becoming comfortable with what privilege I did have. Right. Mm -hmm. Because you mentioned like a lot of people can get really uncomfortable with their privilege and it's, it almost is like a, we, we might feel like it's a delegitimization of our claim to, to the same battles. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's not, I, at work, I wish that more people that didn't have the, those battles would act as allies and use their privilege to change yeah. things. Like it's, there's ways to be still very instrumental in change without having to, to be um, a victim of a lot of these things. And so for me, what I've done is I see what my hermanas go through. I see all of that. And I go through my own, don't get me wrong. I'm not going to sit here and say that I haven't had experiences, um, but I don't focus energy on them. And I don't, you'll catch, like, I think it's very rare that you'll hear me tell a story about like maybe one of those instances, just because it happens, girl, like it's fine. Like that's not, that's not how I want to identify. And that's not the narrative that I want people to hear and think mm -hmm. of when they think Latinas in STEM or women in tech. That's not what we want. Um, and so I really kind of work now to, in my like personal mission, and I do this in my career, like at, at Tanium and also just in all facets of life, is really to get minorities to see that the gift that they have, like they have a place there. We have a place at the table. We're the ones taking ourselves out, right? I was the one that told myself I didn't have the right to do X, Y, Z. And a lot of times it just takes that encouragement because we, it's so funny, the imposter syndrome, right? 
we all are going to go through it here and there. And again, it's not one of those things I give a lot of attention to because I acknowledge it and I'll recognize it when it's there. And I'm like, all right, girl, get to moving because Mm -hmm. it's fine. It's there. Not going to cripple you. It's fine. What I've learned, and this is one of those other other things that like I talked to you about my coworkers, right? I've learned by getting close to these coworkers, these white men that are 40 some years old, they still deal with it too. So why am I tripping over it when I feel imposter syndrome, if they're still dealing with the same thing, we all feel it. Mm-hmm. And so that's like a benefit is like you, when you have a legitimate friendship or relationship with somebody, you get to see kind of what's on their plate as well. And again, you see we're human. We all deal with a lot of the same things. Um, and so because I feel like I was given that unique opportunity, um, in my, um, assertive nature, we'll say, or just in, in my personality type and being able to lean into that unapologetic identity and really have seen the, the fruits of the labor. I feel like I'm like, I can, if I can help you see it too, like, I know you're going to instigate change. And so with the Latina STEAM team scholarship, for example, um, I got a scholarship in college through Great Minds in STEM. It was a HENAC mm-hmm. scholarship and mine was sponsored by Northrop Grumman. And I've always um, wanted to pay it forward. So mm-hmm. the year I graduated, I created one. Um, and then every year since then, I've, I've done scholarships. The last two years, we've done two. And these were just private, like personally funded. Last year, I actually collected donations and, and we did the second one um, donation. This year, I did them both myself. Just with COVID, I did not plan it properly. So, But um, I always look for applicants that are looking to pay it forward, Right. I look for the ones that see the like the system is broken. They they identify the problem, but they also identify the solution, or at least they're moving towards what they think is a solution. Yeah. And that's how that's my I see that as my role is like there's no way I'm going to change this on my own, right? Exactly. I'm I'm not naive to the, the status quo, but I believe in reframing the narrative, in telling, in focusing on the asset it is to be a Latina. You know what I'm saying, like. I, my coworkers, they all have like barbecues and stuff. Like I've been to a carnazada. Like I don't, you know, like before moving to Georgia, I had never been to like a barbecue or had like barbecue. Now we got it all the time, but, um, and really helping, like, like I said, I'm not going to attain this change on my own. And so in really helping other women, other Latinas find their light, we all like can light up the way for the, the next ones. Right. So a lot of times it just takes somebody to, to kind of shake it out of you and be like, look, girl, you're already doing it. The difference is you don't know you're doing it and you don't believe that you're capable of doing it, but you're already doing it. Right. And so um, there's another quote that I was, uh, that I heard kind of with as a, it was another one of those initiating quotes for my, like making La Reina del Cyber and all that stuff and, and starting to really be visible. Um, and it was, she can't be you if she can't see you. So I have this thing. I always tell, tell people like, let's make noise. Like people need to see us because we're here. And the, the deeper I go into the worlds of like Instagram and like social media, the more Latinas I found, find that are doing amazing things, but they're not, we're not telling the stories. And then we have the few Latinas that, um, you know, maybe have made a voice for themselves, but everyone looks at them as, you know, everything, you know, like we have a lot of maybe Latina actresses who have been vocal, right? Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden they are the Latina for, like they're the only role model for everyone, right? So what does that do? It further propagates the image that we don't have leadership or role models. And that's not true. The problem is like, for example, I remember when I was first looking up um, Hispanic Heritage Month speakers like years ago, like at SC, um, there's 
Ellen Ochoa, right? She's the first Latina like um, astronaut. Okay, I see her all, and I would be um, I'm on I'd be honored to even get to know her. So this is not bagging on her, but you know that's when people think Latina engineers. A lot of times, she's one of the first people that comes up, right? There are so many other Latina engineers, and by resharing and and you know almost mindlessly reposting, republishing these kinds of things, we're unknowingly propagating this image that she's one and girl, she's, she's older. Like, don't get me wrong. Her career is amazing, but we need to show that there are still voices and people, movers and shakers now, and that they're making a change now. So a lot of it comes into the work. I was posting when I first kind of was like doing Latina, I'm sorry, um, Reina del Cyber. I started posting statistics about Latinas in STEM and I had to stop because it was making me jaded because you start seeing like the way that the, the actual numbers, they're really not stellar to, to put it lightly. And it was reaffirming what I didn't want, how I didn't want us to be perceived. Right. And so it's being more intentional about what we, we share, the stories that we tell, the stories we tell ourselves before we tell somebody else. Like the, I just came out with the root, root, root for Latinas shirts. And um, it's so important for me that people see like, it looks like very techie, but I want people to see like, there are lots of Latinas in tech. You might not know them because they don't talk about it because we, you know, like a lot of Hispanics were taught to be humble and, and whatnot. And we don't self, um, self advertise the same way that, you know, other, other cultures might, but we're here, we're here. Like, can we make some noise and, and make sure that we're visible? So but that's part of my mission and really empowering the, the, the women that I see already taking initiatives, really empowering them to like, let's keep you moving, make sure you pay it forward, make sure you're getting more Latinas on this mission. And the ones that I don't see doing that, maybe they're not there yet. I just want them to know that there is a community here when they're ready. Like you're not the only one, don't get me wrong. Like you're still a special little flower, but you're not going to be the only Latina in tech. It brings back to um, what you were saying, you know, that, really false and, and very negative destructive narrative that saying you become jaded oh i'm the only one i'm the only one that's experiencing these things and once more latinas come into this industry into the space and they see yourself like oh and they just like make i don't want to be part of this and i remember you posting like not the only one it just propagates this false narrative that there's only space for one latina and no more it's, i'm so happy you said that because one thing that I, I warn women about is, look, you might be the, the, you might be the special flower because you're the only Latina on your team right now. But if you make that your identity, you're going to be insecure when another Latina comes in and needs, you're, you're going to be detrimental to the success of Latinas, right? If my whole identity at work is the one Latina, when that means that like, I'm directly in conflict with another Latina's success, because that's going to challenge my identity and it's going to make me insecure. So I always tell women like, stop it. That's not why you're special. Yes. You're still a beautiful, special flower. It's not because of that. And that's why you see a lot of this rivalry because we're told there's one seat at the table. There's only one. No, there are plenty of seats. Your, your value to the company or to your role or whatever it is, is not because you're Latina. Like it's, because of who you are intrinsically, whatever you bring to the table. So yes, that is an, and, you know, like Mm -hmm. you are an engineer and a Latina, but you are not the Latina engineer. I mean, who knows? Maybe there's going to be another Latina de Cyber who's going to take me (laughs) off the throne, but you get what I'm saying. It's like, it's not, we can't, we can't put so much pressure or weight on this. I'm the only special little flower here because then we're threatened by 
other people making it to that level. And that is completely against mm-hmm. where we need to be going. Yes, yes. I'm so glad that you mentioned that because when, you know, other Latinas come into the space, that rivalry arises and it's a typical like solo yo. And then you push them down instead of just building this community and like uplifting each other. It's, and I've seen that a lot. I've seen that, I experienced it a lot where I am, you know, I come into the space and I'm not like, oh, I see more Latinas. And it's just so hurtful when you don't see that support in your industry. And I, I, I'm glad that, you know, you're very honest and, and truthful and because we need more of that, definitely. We need more of, of, of just owning, yes, our uniqueness, but also saying, fuck, we, 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 need more, we need more Latinas and we need to support them. And going into this, you know, due to COVID and everything, a lot of, and I want to go back into what you were saying that you tend to put yourself with a lot of things in your life. And I, 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 I connect with that because I am that way. And then you burn out. How were you able, you know, recently you had um, an, an injury. Um, I'm, I'm so sorry if I mispronounce this. Oh, girl, I can help you say it because it took me a minute to. Yes, please. You... So I have spondylolysis with grade two spondylolisthesis, which basically means that my back is fractured. And um, it's a bilateral fracture, which means that both sides of one vertebra are disconnected. So one bone is not connected to the next in my spine. And as a result, I only became aware of it because I love working out. And when I got back in the weight room, you know, after COVID like had kind of knocked me off my routine, um, the spondylolisthesis, the slipping, um, one of the bones moved a little bit out of place and caused the cartilage in between the bones to um, disc, it's a disc herniation, which caused pressure on my spine. Mm-hmm. And so I was in a lot of pain. Um, now, yeah, so that's what it is in a nutshell. Yes. And then you had this, you know, and I just want to know because, you know, you've been saying that you've had thanks to you having these connections with your fellow um, teammates and your, with your friends. You ha- I imagine you had the support system and that understanding of what you were going through and what you're going through because, you know, you, you shared it on your YouTube channel. Um, yep. You decided not to go into surgery. You know, how has this process of rediscovering your strength and also rediscovering the power of being connected with other human beings during these hard times? Yeah. And how has that shaped your vision for now and the future? Yeah. So, um, it's funny that you ask. So first off, one of my coworkers actually gave me the referral to the, the orthopedic surgeon that I went to. So mm-hmm. I went to three orthopedic surgeons. They all told me I need surgery. So I did physical therapy. So I, um, but yes, my coworkers, they know what I was going through and they gave me some referrals to some really good, um, doctors here in Atlanta. Now, I'm also little miss independent and I've been this way since I was a kid. So it has been when I first got injured, I wasn't allowed to lift anything more than 10 pounds. Girl, I built a treadmill myself. I used to move my furniture all the time. Like I um, use my engineer, my brain, whatever. I miss independent. Like mm-hmm. I, I'm pretty handy. Like I hang my own things. Like I'm the friend people call when they need something built. Okay. I wasn't allowed to do any of that. 
And in the midst of everything, you know, I also announced that I was going to, or not announced, I'm also like in the process of moving. And so I listed my house on the market. So there was a lot of home repairs. Mm -hmm. Um, And I quickly realized like I was way in over my head um, with respect to the injury. Like I could not do it all. And my, I love my job. Like my company is a blessing to work at. My, my boss was like, just take the time you need. And I was like, okay, I'll give it a week. He was like a week. He said, we'll work on it. We'll get you like a month like take some time. Um, and so they helped me kind of like really make sure that I'm prioritizing myself. Whereas I might not, like I might be comfortable, like put pushing the limit a little bit, you know what I'm saying? Just because I, my work ethic, like I get obsessive and I want to just do things. Um, so I've been, I've had a really strong support system, uh, at work. And then a lot of it too, um, the injury itself, like it sounds really dramatic and it don't get me wrong. Like it is, but apparently my back has been broken for like a year and I was lifting without knowing. So it's not that bad in my eyes. Like the, every, every surgeon is like, this is really bad. You're going to have to operate. I'm walking. I'm, oops. I'm walking. I'm running. I'm, um, you know, I was lifting, I was squatting with weight before. Uh, I think what happened essentially was because I had stopped working out when like quarantine started, Mm -hmm. um, I took about three months off. And so any core strength that I have wasn't there. So when I went back into the weight room and was lifting again, it shifted. Whereas usually my core strength would hold things in place. Um, so I just really quickly realized like I wasn't going to be able to do it all, um, on my own. And like mentally, so the, the, the injury has been more mental, then it has been physical because like I said, I'm fine. I was wearing a brace. This really, I feel bad for it. If anyone's listening and you have a, a scoliosis brace, a Boston overlap, girl, I'm gonna pray for you too, because that thing is not cute. And it's hard to like find fashion around. Like I had the, my very, um, like the, the style that I like to wear clothes, you know, like I had my style and I had to switch it up. Like I don't wear oversized shirts to that. I joked it was my uniform. Um, and so mentally it was just like kind of grappling with, you know, how I was gonna, like how I was coming off to the world. And it's just, it it became more of a mental hurdle for me. Mm -hmm. Um, and also the part of like, is it going to heal? Right. So I, uh, I've, I swear God did this on purpose because I could, I cannot tell you why, but I've always been fascinated by like the mind body connection and the power of the mind to heal the body. Okay. To the extent that I've read books on it. I've watched, there's a documentary on Netflix called heal that really like changed my life. Um, and I wasn't injured or I've never been really sick. I haven't had it. Like I've been blessed to be healthy most of my life, but I was always drawn to this for God knows why. And the week that I got injured, I was in the middle of reading um, a book by Deepak Chopra. It's resurrecting the um, body, reinventing, sorry, reinventing the body, resurrecting the soul. And again, talks about the body energy and like all this mind body connection, right? Then the injury happens and I'm like, oh, all right, God, this was, you were prepping me for this. So let's just get to work. Um, And so they, when I started reading, or sorry, when I, when I got injured, everyone was um, saying surgery at first. And my gut reaction was like, all right, let's just operate. And then I took a moment to like be still. And I was like, wait, this is, this is like everything that I've like, everything that I believe in tells me I should give my body an opportunity to try to heal itself. Like mm-hmm. th- not to say like, I don't believe in surgery, but surgery is trauma to the body. And I really do believe it needs to be a last resort. And so I kind of 
took that moment to pause and be still and, and see, is this something like, do I actually want to have surgery or is this, do I have other options? Um, so that turned into me just uh, being a little bit more mindful. And like, I had had a standing desk for years, but never used it. I was very like, if they say sitting is a no smoking, I kid you not find out why, you know, the why, because your bones are pressing your discs and it's actually causing the discs to potentially herniate. It's not, I thought sitting was a new smoking. Cause it, like, I thought they said that cause it's going to make you fat and you're not moving. No, it's actually very bad for your back. We were not meant to yeah. sit these extended periods of time. And when you work in technology or when you have a highly demanding job, I would sit and work 12, 13 hour days. And then I'm going to get comfy and lie down or sit on the couch. And I'm like, you know, hunching my back over and curving my spine. And I just learned wow, I've been doing life wrong. So I, um, you know, I'm now using my standing desk and I'm finding ways to be more active and I'll take calls when I'm walking my dog and just really focusing on, I have one body. I have one life. I am one person. So these boundaries that I'm setting now, like I, for the last few weeks, have been getting a massage every week because I just need that tension off my shoulders. It's fine. So where I've found like how it's changed and kind of like trying to balance all these things is really recognizing that these things that I could have maybe pushed off before um, or maybe ignored, like willfully ignored, they are priorities. Like I don't, knowing now that this injury, like, you know, I just had a checkup yesterday and it didn't heal. So now it's either surgery or just live with it until I can't, right? Which Mm -hmm. again, so we're going to live with it until otherwise, otherwise, (laughs) no. Um, But you know, I just recognize now that like, this is the finality of it. Like this is permanent. This is not something like, it's, that's not how this works. And so when you recognize the finality of something like this, you recognize like, I cannot take risks. Like I, I cannot be taking these risks and not taking care of my body. Mm-hmm. And the beauty of it is I'm very much, um, my, my sister says I'm like all or nothing. And I like, I hate running. So I signed up for a half marathon. Right. And then I was miserable. So I like, I'm like, I don't like something. So I'm just going to go balls to the wall and do it. And, um, I recognize that like, I need to be really like better at being in this like slow and gray and like, you know, the slow space and not be so polar with, with my decisions. And so for my body, um, you know, like I would go really, really hard in the gym four or five times a week. But I would do that because that would make me feel good. And it, you know, it like kept my body the way I wanted it to look and all these other things. And I didn't really take the time to be slow and be mindful with my body and really think and, and, you know, feel. And, um, one thing with the injury, for example, is they kept wanting to prescribe like steroid shots and like, um, different uh, painkillers. And I told them like, no, like everything that I've read about, like in caring for my body, my body pain is communication. That's all it is because Mm -hmm your hand can't sit here and say, Hey, this is hurting. So pain is your body's way of communicating with you. I did not take any painkillers when everything was happening. It's not that I wanted to feel the pain, but I wanted to feel it so that I would know what, what's good for me and what's not. And now in this injury, it's forced me to be slow and mindful. And, you know, I, I can work out some, like I can do my physical therapy exercises and I walk a lot now and I just started running again. Um, but it's really being intentional about like these movements and really being in tune. Like, how does this feel? 
is my core engaged when I'm squatting? Does this feel okay? And it's this very different relationship with my body than I've had in the past. Because like I said, I was a type to get in, out, like I don't do distance. I run sprints because they're more effective. And I got like, I got somewhere to go and I have somewhere, something to do. And that's not how I approach it anymore. Like I'm really like working, especially like I, I just started with a life coach and a therapist working on the mindfulness aspect of life and working on really taking care of holistic Stephanie um, and not saying like, again, like not a, just a quick surgery. It's, it's, let's take it slow. Let's really figure out what's going on. Let's look mm-hmm. at Stephanie as a whole. Right. Um, because for, to be candidly honest, the surgeons aren't wrong, but they also didn't know the whole picture. And I got, I got competing advice. I got competing things. Like you have to take accountability for everything that you're going through. And so that's why me convertí en doctora because I was like, you're telling me one thing, but I don't think that's right. And then I would talk to somebody else and tell them my theory. And they're like, oh, that actually sounds more right. Right. And so it's like, tú eres la única encargada de tu vida. So mm-hmm. take, take control of it. That means take care of it. But that also means like, don't just trust what anybody tells you, like do your research. You, you are the only one that has control of your life and is responsible for it. Yes. Yes, it really ties back with what we were talking about. And I'm so happy that you, I'm also very grateful that you mentioned that you are taking therapy because you said earlier that it was a, more of a mental, like um, painful uh, mentally, right? It was, yes, physically, but more so mentally. What have you learned throughout, you know, your sessions? And what can you say to maybe Latinas or listeners who, are going through a lot, but they're maybe adamant or maybe don't believe in therapy because, you know, we, we are a part of a community that our ancestors, our parents maybe aren't going to therapy and it's, in, it, but it comes to yeah. us, you know, and placing our, ourselves first and really taking care of ourselves during this hard time. Yeah. Um, so I wish I had done started therapy sooner. Like I, I definitely had moments in my life where I had thought about it. I had made the phone call and I convinced myself that, that it wasn't worth it or like it was too expensive or whatever it was. Right. Um, and as you mentioned, historically, or like culturally, a lot of times, um, therapy isn't the solution we go to. You pray to, to the osito, el te lo va a cuidar, el te lo, te lo va a aliviar. Like it's a very different, um, approach culturally. And I don't think, thankfully, I don't think we're at a point where, there's a lot of stigma, hopefully, with therapy. I think people are pretty accepting now of, of, of others wanting self-growth and self, um, just self-growth and healing, right? So I, like I said, I wish I had started sooner. Um, for me, it's been just very eye-opening to a lot of things that I had held on to as a kid. I don't think we really, like, ever credit enough how formative our childhood years are. Yes. Like there are patterns of behavior that I've developed from when I was this very different version of Stephanie. Like I was the cute little gordita in the class and I never got really bullied, but I started to recognize I had carried like a version, like an identity with me through my adulthood. And it's affected the way I establish relationships, the way I engage with friends. It's affected all these things. Now I'm not going to lie. It's work. You and I talked about this, like, Yes. Like it's, it's, you're drained when you start making these connections, but I'm really excited because in addressing a lot of this stuff, all it is, is opening opportunity for transcendence, right? Mm -hmm. It's just going to make me better. And so 
I have been like, I was very intentional about finding somebody who is a little bit more holistic. So I'm not seeing like a normal therapist. I'm seeing somebody, she's actually a formal grief counselor and a life coach. Um, and you know, the, we're talking through like grief is any type of loss and, and things like that. And we're talking through the injury in, in different ways like that. Um, and along with a lot of other things that I just had not addressed from my childhood. Um, and you know, I came to her from the approach is like, look, I'm, I'm very introspective. I love thinking. I love talking about feelings. I love figuring out why, like it drives my friends nuts. I'm always like, well, why? Like, why? Why? And so I um, had done a lot of the work, but I didn't know where to take it. Like, it's almost like you shine the light under the table. You see all the gum and you're just grossed out. But like, now we got to get the gum off the table. Like we got to clean it up. Right. It's not enough to just know that there's like something to be done. You actually have to figure out what the next steps are. And so that's where I was like, okay, this is a point for me to engage somebody with experience. And I looked for somebody that she actually practices Reiki as well, which I've never done yet. So maybe like in a year when we talk yeah. on the next podcast or something, we'll, I'll have my Reiki experiences. Um, but, you know, really focusing on the body holistically and on energy. And, you know, um, if, if I'm having problems communicating something, you know, like doing different things and, and more, like I said, mindfulness, meditation, daily affirmations, all things that everyone talks about you should be doing, but like really actually doing them with intention, like with purpose, like don't be, don't be busy, be, be productive, right? Like be intentional. Don't just write your affirmations because somebody told you, you should be writing your affirmations in the morning. Really think about how these are going to affect you and, and mold your day. Um, and so, yeah, like it's, um, um, we've had four sessions, but two official sessions. And um, I really, really enjoy just being able to kind of pick through some things that have happened. Um, and I don't, I don't think like, it's again, this unapologetic thing. You're not broken. I'm not broken. I don't see it as a deficiency. I see it as an opportunity for me to grow. Why? Because I know I'm so strongly confident that God has a vision for me. Right. And that he, I'm here for this purpose and he's using me as a vessel. He's using me as a tool. And in order to get to that point where I'm really delivering the way that he has envisioned for me, I need to address the things that are holding me back, yes. whether it's self-image, whether it's my own perception with like imposters and whatever it is. So I just see it as like, all right, you get your car taken in for a checkup or a tune-up. I'm don't clearly, I don't know about cars. What is it? A tune-up? <laughs> you take your car in for service yeah. and my dad takes my car in for service. Um, but you know, it's just one of those things like, especially like you know, after any type of, of loss, whether it's an injury, whether it's the actual like passing of, of a loved one or a breakup or a friendship, whatever it is, we, a lot of times take the responsibility on ourselves to heal. And then enough time will pass where we've convinced ourselves that we've healed. And then all of a sudden one little thing happens and you react in a way that you're like, that's not me. I don't know what's happening. What is this? <laughs> and all of a sudden you're like, all right. So Maybe we didn't heal the way we thought we did. So I'm going to hire a professional now to help me heal because I want to, you know, my thing is I always want to be the very best version of myself wherever I am. And when I catch myself being, again, a still, it's a version of me. Like we own all of our identities. We're mostly multifaceted people. But when I catch Stephanie being a very different version of herself, like when I'm not, when I feel like, wow, why did I do that? Like that tells me that's an opportunity for me to work on, Right. We have the capacity, especially with the people that we love to be the best version of ourselves, you know, and 
if I am in a situation where I'm not the best version of myself, it's either change the situation or change myself. And a lot of times, don't get me wrong, you can very easily change a situation depending on if it's worth it or not to you. Um, but we also have a responsibility, I think, to help the little child inside of all of us get past whatever, whatever we've been through as kids. Oh, Steph, thank you. Seriously. I, I think God really wanted us to have this conversation today because oh, you're speaking a lot of things that I'm like going through and living through right now and feeling. Yeah. So I want to say just thank you. Thank you for being so honest and being authentically you. And which brings me to my last question. I want this to go longer, but you're a <laughs> woman. You know, speaking, if you had the opportunity to go back in time at whatever age Steph was, knowing what you know now, living through what you lived and feeling and changing and just being you, what would you say to her? Okay. Um, I think I would tell her, like, you have so much to offer the world and trust that if you have a desire for something, that desire was put in you. It's intentional. You know, like, don't get so caught up trying to figure out why you're not like what people say you should be like. If you feel it, that has legitimacy, that has authenticity, that's all you need to move towards whatever is, is calling you. Beautiful. Thank you, Steph. Oh my God. I hope you are just so impassioned, like passionate and inspired by La Reina del Cyber, that is Steph. I'm Thank you for this conversation. I, I am really- Thank you, Brand. This was so nice. I'm this so glad so we got a chance to do this. Yes. And, you know, for our listeners who are like, I want more of Steph. I need to learn more of her. I want to see her videos. Where can they reach you? Where can they watch your, your YouTube videos or if they have any questions? Yeah. So um, the big centralized repository for the information is my website, stephaniaseves.com. Um, but on Instagram, it's my last name backwards. So it's Seveca, um, S-E-V-E-C-A, um, which is Aceves backwards. And then I have a YouTube channel. Um, I think it's the name of the channel is Stephanie Aceves. But again, it's probably easier if you go on my website, that's where you'll be able to see. I also, so a big part of um, empowering Latinas is to offer education and things like that. So I, I make cybersecurity um, approachable. And I do like La Reina del Cyber Explains, and it's a series that I have on, on social. And so on, on YouTube, there are videos there, but on my website, I put like blog post explanations of a lot of the same content that I put on Instagram. Um, so if you're cyber curious, if like that's, I know that's a hot career right now. Um, there's a lot of, of resources there for you. Um, I'm in the process of developing like a intro cyber training for folks. And my goal is to give it free for Latinas and have everyone else pay. So stay tuned, ladies. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you can go ahead. My website, um, YouTube is stephaniasavis.com. Instagram is Sebeca. And Twitter is La Reina of Cyber. But I tweet like once a year. So <laughs> you can follow if you want. And much there. if they're interested in um, the scholarship program that you offer, it's all on Instagram and on your website, correct? So I've been doing the scholarship through Great Minds in STEM um, because they are a 401c3. Mm-hmm. And so what we could do, or I'm actually in the process of eventually going to like maybe do it separately where people can, can um, donate apart from that. But for women that are interested in applying, KENAC actually just passed the Great Minds in STEM conference. Um, it was October. It was last week, I believe. 
but for next year, keep like on your radar, keep great minds and STEM in your mind and you can apply. I recommend applying there anyway, because it's not just applying directly to my scholarship, but it's applying to all these scholarships for Hispanics, Latinos, like pursuing careers in STEM. Um, and then, you know, like I said, it, you might get, I, I have my search criteria that I look for. Um, like I said, somebody that's paying it forward. Um, so yeah, definitely just check out Great Minds in STEM, HENAC. Excellent. Thank you, Steph. And you heard it here. You listened to it here and you saw it. So we'll have all this information in the show notes as well as in the video. And thank you for, thank you, Steph, for being here, for giving me your time and just being so open and honest. And thank you for watching or listening to this inspiring conversation. I enjoyed it so much. And you can follow us on Instagram at AS the podcast. That is A-L-L-A-S of the podcast. Or you can follow us on tiktok that is the podcast or on linkedin as a yes podcast we also have if you want to be a guest here you can send an email at a the podcast at gmail.com that is e-double-l-a-s the podcast at gmail.com if you like us well you can follow me at friend underscore hi that's b-r-e-n underscore j-a-i thank you Steph. thank you so much i really loved this and i hope you loved it as well and i'll see you in two weeks adios If you've been listening to AS for a while, you know that I'm a big supporter of providing a platform for Latinas to share their stories and inspire current and future generations of women. With that said, I'm looking to get this podcast into the lives of more amazing Latinas just like you. You can help by going to Apple Podcasts and write a review. Tell me what you think and leave any number of stars. It would mean the world to me. Thank you in advance. AS is produced hosted and audio edited by me, Brenda hernandez Jaimes. Our video conversations are edited by Javier ortiz Cris. Our logo and podcast cover art was designed by Jennifer Cepeda. And thank you to Shiro, who created the podcast theme song, Sunken Streets. You can download this track on freemusicarchive.org or listen to him on Spotify, YouTube, and follow him on Instagram. This is Yes.